0: Lord, would you take these moments we have to bring into perspective what's really important. May we view life as you view these things. Lord, open to us your scriptures. You've given us the word of life. May we listen. May we have humble hearts to listen. Reveal to us our pride. We, may we yield to you and become dependent upon you because of who you are and your great love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I was walking through the fellowship hall the other day, and I uh, noticed up on, you know, different classes have bulletin boards up and so forth, and I noticed on the bulletin board here going into the back hallway, I noticed uh, this riddle. Have anybody else anybody else noticed this? This riddle going on? Yeah, yeah Miranda has, you know. What in the world is it? What do you get when you cross a fish? with an elephant i don't know anybody got that one answered and figured out uh you can ask brenda or or doug or any of the junior age kids because that's in their classroom area um i don't know maybe i don't know what maybe it has something to do with swimming trunks or something like that but uh i don't know anybody got the answer to that one um that has nothing to do with what we're preaching about here. All right. I just, I just saw that. But I did come across another riddle as I was reading through the scriptures here as we were looking at these together, um, thinking through this ahead of time. Another riddle. Here it is. What is at the same time so incredibly simple yet so ridiculously hard? I asked my wife that riddle, and her immediate thought was Sleep. <laughs> Should be so simple, but sometimes you get to my age, it's so hard. Uh, but that's not the answer I was looking for. Um, what I'm looking for is what is in our text in Mark chapter ten, verses thirteen through thirty-one. That Dan has already read for us, and I appreciate that. And the title of the message is "For the sake of the gospel." Uh, we see this matter of the gospel being at the core at the core of this entire thought that Jesus is bringing out to us in verse twenty-nine. When he says it's for, for my sake and for the gospel. May we view what Jesus is teaching us in light of the gospel. Uh, back to that question Dan had about who. So who is they in, in verse 13. And they were bringing the children to him. Well, you go back to verse 1 and let's read something here. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. I'm thinking maybe it was these that were in these crowds that were gathering. And, and again, as it was the custom, he taught them. Jesus is a teacher. And that teaching had a profound influence on these that were listening. So they wanted to bring these children to him. If you knew that you were going to die in a week or two, and you had the opportunity to teach the important things, the truths that people needed to know going forward, what would you say? Uh, the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus uh, to the subject of a controversy, uh, dealing with divorce and remarriage. And by the way, didn't Jordan do a fantastic job in opening up this passage to us a couple of weeks ago and explaining it with compassion, just as Jesus did? Uh, but the, the Pharisees were trying to get him onto controversy and arguments. However, Jesus turned the attention to the gospel message through two events the children that were brought to Jesus, and this rich young man, this ruler. And it's for the gospel's sake that Jesus does this. That's what's really important. The first of the events represents something that is incredibly easy. And the second one reveals something that is ridiculously hard. So let's consider these two events, two observations from these two events that reflect on the gospel. The first event, you ready? We learn from the encounter with the children. By the way, may that be something that we pay attention to. We need to learn from the children. We need to learn from children. There's something we need to learn. I'm at the age of my life where I'm realizing I need to learn from my children. They they have so much that they're learning and grasping that I never caught, and I don't want to be the one that is saying, I know it all. I need to learn from my children that are grown children, but we need to learn from the little children if we will take time to listen. And we learn from this encounter that Jesus had with the little children that the gospel is easy to believe. Now, when I say the gospel is easy to believe, I'm not suggesting easy believism. Easy believism is an idea where you just pray this prayer, you say these words, and, and God's got to answer it. That's easy believism, and that's not a heart response to the gospel. But I do want us to see from this passage that Jesus makes it very clear that the gospel is easy to believe. In fact, the gospel is so easy, a child can receive it. And that's the point. In verse 13, they brought the children to Jesus, or they were bringing, it's in an imperfect active tense here where it's implying there's a repetition it kept on happening they were they kept on interrupting jesus by by bringing these children to him and and the disciples rebuked these people that were bringing the children to jesus and when jesus saw this he was indignant as we read indignant now this is the only time that word indignant is used as i understand it in the scriptures. And speaking of an emotion of, of great displeasure, it's a compound word to means to grieve much. Go, oh, no, don't let that happen. Don't resist this. Please, don't let them stop bringing the children. You're, you, you missed the whole point. The disciples should have known better, and we should know better. He said, let or please allow these little children to come to me And do not hinder them. Stop hindering them. There's a double command here. It's not just, oh, stop doing that. He's saying, please let the children come. Allow this. This is so important. And and don't get in the way of that. Do not hinder this. Why? The kingdom is filled with those who possess the childlike characteristic of yielded trust. Yielded heart and trusting to God. That's what these children understood. Now, there's a key word in verse 15. The key word here in verse 15 is this word, to to receive, excuse me, to receive. And it's stressing a definite, humble act of accepting a gift freely, not by merit or right, rather a simple, childlike, yes, receptiveness. That's the gospel. Receiving what God has done for us as a child would receive a gift. Innocent, yielded trust. You see, the just shall live by faith, taking God as its word and receiving that. But as many as receive him, the scriptures say, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And we read that Jesus took them in his arms. at Matthew 19, I believe we read that, that he, he was touching them. A very appropriate, caring affection. And he blessed them. Ah, this is an important concept to to understand in all of the scriptures, that he blesses them, laying his hands on them. Now, we just kind of read those words and go, yeah, something happened there. But for those of the Jewish mind in this culture, that was a big deal, that he would take them in his arms and that he would bless them. Again, as a compound verb, offering an intensive, heartfelt, fervent, I care for you blessing, you're important to me. And in keeping with the Jewish rabbinical practice, they, they saw this happening throughout many of their ceremonies, many of their, their family gathering, that the older respected authority in the family was giving a blessing. Jesus was calling God's blessing upon these children. Giving a child a blessing. We need to understand the significance of that in our culture and how that carries on for decades in their mind of what life is all about. Giving a child a blessing. And in their mind, a blessing wasn't just a pat on the head, oh, good boy. In their mind, the blessing was a vision for how God was going to use their life in the decades to come. And with great joy, comfort and joy, recognizing God's hand upon them and praying for that. That was the blessing. So that's what Jesus was doing here. And, and I believe it's really important for us as a body of believers, Walnut Park Baptist Church, to keep this in mind. We need to demonstrate to children Christ's genuine blessing. The joy and the comfort of knowing God's hand is on them to use them and to have them have some goals, a vision, a purpose in life to be used by God and to please Jesus in every day. You can help your children get that. And we as a body of believers, through Awana, through Sunday School, through all the various ways, through our singing and how they sing, we can help them and families individually Night after night as they go to bed, remind them of their eternal purpose and the plan God has for the little ones, for the junior age, for the teenager. Keep them thinking about God's hand upon them and his purpose. Here's a startling statistic recently updated. According to Barna, the research firm, according to Barna, only 6% of adult Christians made their decision to follow Christ when they were older than 18. 6%. That means 94% responded to the gospel, the love of Christ, before they were age 18. And I say, wow. Now, that number has increased. A number of years ago, as I recall, that number was more like in the 80s, 80% or so. Now it's even higher. And here's why I say that's really important. Today, there seems to be a sense within church circles, in order to avoid easy believism, and I get the dangers with that, but I sense that there's this there's, a, there's, a, there's an attempt to discourage children from responding to the gospel. Put it off, do sometimes later. I think that's desperately dangerous. When the Spirit of God is moving within the heart of a child and that child understands their sinfulness and that child understands the power of God and the judgment of God and the holiness of God and the eternal weight of their sin and understand the love of God and how Jesus died for them and rose from the grave and he offers this gift of salvation as a free gift, a child wants to respond to that. And we put that off, and there's so many other discouragements and lies that are thrown their way, it could be too late. So let me urge you to understand what Jesus was doing here needs to be our emphasis as well. Bring this blessing to the children. Do you appreciate the simplicity of the gospel? The simple good news God is holy in every respect in fact he determines what that looks like not us god is just and he must punish our sin because he is a holy god but in that god is also a loving god who knowing his holiness wants to do something to solve our dilemma our problem and so he sent his son jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and to purchase for us a place in his kingdom in heaven Simply by receiving his gift, and he is a gracious God. He gives this to us joyfully, lovingly so, and saying, I want you to have this gift. That's the simple good news, and just reach and take it. God, I want that. Do you appreciate the simplicity of the gospel? A child can understand this. For the gospel's sake, do you understand and appreciate this? And secondly, do you admit how incredibly difficult salvation is. The second event, we learn from this rich young ruler, this young man, that the gospel is hard to believe. So what is at the same time incredibly easy, but ridiculously hard? We read here in Mark 10, 10, verses 17 through 22, we read about this rich young man I believe he was very sincere, uh, in, incredibly so, genuine, and he was, he was dedicated to this. And he comes with the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that is the question that you need to have answered as well. He was a, he was a smart young man. He realized that's what it was all about, not just the present, but eternity. What must you do to have eternal life? A very sincere question. The most important question you can ever have answered is to know where you will spend eternity, heaven or hell. You've got to search out that answer. But his problem was he was looking for the answers in the wrong way. He was looking to the wrong person. He was looking to himself. I believe this passage brings out this very important truth. Believing the gospel involves trusting Christ as God. We read back in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Remember when we started in this series on Mark? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is God. And here in verse 18, we read this statement where Jesus says, Why do you call me good? He said, good master. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Jesus is God. And this young man did not realize who it was that he was speaking to. Jesus is God. Jesus wasn't saying that he isn't God. He's not saying, oh, I'm not good. No, Jesus is God. And Jesus knew that this man did not know to whom he was asking the question." What Jesus is addressing is that this man had a superficial understanding of what is good. What is good. My dog is a good dog. Maisie is a good dog. He's housebroken. <laughs> That's a good dog. For most of the time. Most of the time she's housebroken. Uh, she doesn't bite. That's a good dog. All right? Uh, there's are some times I don't think she's always that good, but, but she's a good dog. That's not what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about this matter of good. Um, this man or that man might be a good man. That doesn't mean that he doesn't bite or that <laughs> he's housebroken. I mean, so there are different understandings of what good is. Jesus wants to understand what, us to understand what his definition of good is. Good is not comparing yourself to other people that you're better than somebody else in your goodness. Just had a friend say to me about a friend of theirs was talking about how God would certainly receive him because he was such a good person. God would certainly receive me because I'm a good guy. I don't do what other people do comparing myself amongst ourselves. It's not wise. Good in God's eyes is defined by God not us. Good is the character of God whose character is manifest in the law, the Old Testament. God's standard for good is what he says is good in the law. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart, and God knows what's going on in the heart that's not good. There is none righteous, the scriptures say, not a single one. So again, we want to identify a contrast here in these two events, the children who come in faith to Jesus with, with an openness to knowing he is good, and this young man who thinks that he is good. And there's also another contrast in this word receive and how this man thinks that it's something that is inherited, something that he is worthy of or deserves. That leads us to this. Believing the gospel involves turning from trusting myself, yourself, to trusting in Christ's sacrifice alone. Now, in our flesh, we resist that God is in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And in our flesh, we resist that we should have to depend on somebody else for our goodness, for our eternal life. That's just human nature. Our sin nature is we want to be good enough. We want to be able to handle this on my own. Self-sufficiency, it's an American thing, right? We're all sinners. And most of us don't see ourselves as really all that bad, the sin that it is. We can be good enough, surely, right? And this young man with confidence said, well, all these things I have kept from my youth. And notice the commandments that that are referenced here. I think it's in verses 19 and 20. You'll recognize these. Uh, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lying, um, no coveting. You recognize those? No false witness, no defrauding. So he goes through 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 of the Ten Commandments, and then he comes back to five, honor your father and mother, and this young man says, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. But notice the commandment that Jesus took him back to, the first commandment. Jesus said, as he loved him, he said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. Now, this is not a universal rule. You have to get rid of all your private property. God's against private property, private ownership. That's that's not consistent with any of the rest of Scripture. But Jesus is revealing something in this young man. Commandment number one, you will have no other gods before me. Money was this man's God. Might be yours as well. Or some other of these offenses could be your God. This man went away sad. He was downcast, devastated. He walked away from Jesus because there was something more important to him than God. Something else was in the place of God. He had great possessions. And he came under this conviction, the Holy Spirit identifying what the law of God was was that he was refusing to obey. Now, Jesus isn't saying that the only way to have eternal life is to have every person sell everything that they have and, and then, or keep all of the law. He is saying that if we are trusting our own perceived goodness, we must keep all the law, and none of us can or have. Self-effort won't save. This man realized that, and he went away very sad. Now, there are two critical revelations that I want to bring out here in just about five minutes or so. The first is this. Christ makes the impossible possible through the gospel. This is our takeaway, and we'll see this in the passage in verses 23 through 27. Jesus answered with that word, children, taking them back to what he had already talked about with these children that were in his arms, and that he was blessing, but all of these people there that were trusting him were like these children. So he says to them, "Children, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle." And you're saying that's impossible. This is hyperbole, but it is impossible, and, and, and a camel cannot go through the opening of a, at the top of a needle. So then their response was, "Who then can be saved?" Exactly, it's impossible that God does the impossible. The picture here is apparently of an ancient yet popular proverb expressed uh, expressing something that's impossible that God can do. In the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, it twice mentions that it's impossible for an elephant to pass through the eye of a needle in that region. The camel, the largest in this region where Jesus was, the largest animal there, uh, was was the source of the illustration. This massive camel fitting through this little opening? Impossible. That's ridiculous. And it's ridiculous to try to save yourself. You can't. But, verse 27, you see it? With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. What's the context of this all things? All things are possible with God. All things relate to the things necessary for salvation. God takes care of all those things. All these things that are necessary for your salvation, God takes care of. God takes care of the price of redemption, the Lamb, the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. He paid it all. He takes care of the need for atonement, this sacrificial covering that God's wrath would be satisfied by. God did that. This matter of justification, we have to be just or righteous. We don't have that, but God puts Christ's righteousness upon us as a gift. God can do that in this matter of reconciliation, bringing us into fellowship with this, the Father through the love of Christ. That's what God can do, the impossible, and he did in the person of Jesus Christ. So simply as a child yielding and trusting, we say, Jesus, I want you, I need you, Well, Peter says, we've left and followed you, Lord. And that's in the perfect tense, which is emphasizing something I think is really important right here, that this is an ongoing following in this matter of coming to Jesus. He keeps it up in the perfect tense. It's it's something that he keeps on doing. We're following you, Lord. It's a continuing process, which leads us to the, the last revelation I want us to have as a takeaway. Christ declares the gospel sacrifice profitable. Again, look at verses 28 through 31. It's worth it to follow Christ now and later for eternal life. There's benefit now. In verse 30, this benefit is that whatever you have, it's a hundredfold now in this time when you come to Jesus like this child understanding his blessing and his purpose and his way and the gospel. There's a benefit right now a hundredfold more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. That's good. So the challenge for us all is like these children, come to Jesus and receive what he has for you. Come. It's worth it. This world does not satisfy. What Jesus has is worth it. Now, the best life possible, (laughs) not the way the world looks at it, not in the possessions of a rich man, not in the prosperity gospel, but you come to Jesus understanding his blessing and his help. It's worth it. So a week or so ago, we had a a ladies' conference here at our church, a retreat all day long, place was filled, the, the gymnasium was filled, I think with 70 or so ladies that came from various churches, and there was a, a lady that came to speak, her name is Krista Threlfall, a young lady, a young mama, pastor's wife from New Hampshire, had written a book called Come to Jesus, and by the way, she did a great job speaking and explaining the the, the whole chapter of James chapter 1, and dealing with looking at how we deal with sorrows from, from the understanding of joy, how, how God's hand is in all of that. But in this little booklet of, of hers, it's a short book, very, very practical, helpful. Uh, she talks about various times that we need to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus when we're not believing. Come to Jesus when we're lonely, when we're needing advice, when we're overwhelmed. Anyone here in that situation right now? You're a little bit overwhelmed? When you're struggling with changes that are going on in life, that are out of your control. When you're not thankful. Come to Jesus when you're failing. Been there, done that. Come to Jesus when you're uncertain. Don't know what's next. And these are just one or two short devotional type approaches to these issues. But coming back to this matter of coming to Jesus. Why? He loves you. He will bless you. He will give your life meaning now and for all eternity. And she said this, I've discovered through times of foolishly trying it out that the longer I act without taking things to Jesus, the higher my stress level rises. On the other hand, when I come to Jesus before any stress begins, Then coming to him the moment difficulties start and ask him for help as I respond, well, I come to the end of that incident and I discover I'm right where I wanted to be, close to Jesus. And if I do that all day long, then I find that all those potentially stressful incidents have simply been tools to remind me of my need for Christ. I thought, that's it. We can be all stressed out like this young man trying to prove his point, trying to be able to be, be thought good enough, and we never achieve it. Or we can come as these children and receive with simple faith the love of God. Making it an, an intentional routine, a practiced habit, coming to Jesus. It's worth it. Easy, Jesus made it that way, simply come. Hard, turning from our self-sufficiency, our rule, our will, it's our sin problem, hard. God, in your grace, show us the light of the truth of Jesus Christ in this passage. May we humble ourselves before you. There's some here in this place or listening online that are like this rich man who are still striving to be good enough to achieve that sufficiency, the thinking it's all good. But, God, we're not good, we know that. Lord, would you, in your grace, make known the gospel of Jesus Christ just like you made it known to these children, and you bless them? May you bless the unbelievers who are hearing this, with the work of the Holy Spirit to make it obvious that the light of Jesus Christ is the only way to find life and to come to him as a child, believing and receiving this gift. And for every believer that is here, I pray that we would continue on following you in this same belief in daily habits of coming to Jesus, asking for your blessing, for your help, for your wisdom, for your forgiveness, for your grace, for your encouragements. Help us to keep coming to Jesus, knowing that you love us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.